0: This episode is a very unique one for David and I. Good friend of the show, Andrew Marks, organized a little dinner for us with Charlie Munger and a few other folks at Charlie's home in Los Angeles. You can hear Andrew a few times in the background asking Charlie questions along with us. We're pretty sure this is the only podcast interview that Charlie has ever done. Charlie, aside from being one of the most prolific investors of all time alongside his partner Warren Buffett, is 99 years old. He will turn 100 on January 1st. Of course, our conversation was interesting both because he's freaking Charlie Munger, but it was also interesting just to get the perspective of someone who has seen the last 99 years of human history. We talked with Charlie, of course, about Costco and his history investing in retailers over the last 50 years. We also got to hear his view on what it takes to build a great and enduring partnership, what's gone wrong in the global securities markets these days, uh, investing versus gambling, and where great investment opportunities remain in the world. This is where we'll do something for Tiny uh, as our sponsor, and then the disclaimer about not investment advice, and then on to our episode with Charlie Munger. Charlie, what do you? Th- I was watching the NFL games last weekend, and it seems like every advertisement now is a, a sports betting advertisement. Is this good for America? No, of course not.
1: <laughs> Are the dog tracks and racetracks of America and uh, the casinos good for America? Of course not. They're just, they're just very popular. Well, that's how Warren got his start, though, right, at the racetrack? Well, but Warren never gambled heavily as a patron of it. A- Warren wanted the odds in his favor, not somebody else.
0: Right. It's just so
1: simple if you're Warren. You want the house, you want to be the house, not the (laughs) punter.
0: Now, listeners, the next topic that came up was retail stock trading and the idea that for many Americans this is akin to gambling.
1: Well, that's the way it's organized. They don't really know anything about the companies or anything. They just gamble on going up and down in price. Hmm. Hmm. But if I were running the world, I would have a tax on short-term gains with no offset for losses on short-term, on, on anything. And and I would just drive this whole crowd of people out of business.
2: What do you think about the algorithms, like Renaissance and stuff like
1: that? Well, of course, Renaissance, Renaissance first, first algorithm was so simple. They sifted all this data from the past. And what did they decide? Up, up for, for two closing prices, and down, down were more common than down, up or up, down.
2: Yeah.
1: And all once they realized that's the way it was for various reasons deep in the psychology of man. Is that man is a natural trend follower. He's hmm. taking gambling short term, and they they just he's programmed the computers to automatically. You know, buy on one thing on the first up day and then yeah. the, uh, <laughs> and sell before the end of the second day and they just did it day after day after day and it, it's every day the machine would, you know, the, the central Clearing Agent would say your check today is $8,500,000. Your check tomorrow is 9400000 For Citadel though. Well, what happens good. is that the ones the easiest trade is to front run what you know what the average is, what the index funds have to buy. And you know what it is exactly. They all know that. And the way they get their returns year after year is taking the leverage, the midday leverage up higher and higher and higher and higher. So they're making smaller and smaller profits on more and more volume, which gives them this big peak leverage risk, which I would not run myself.
2: Yeah, well, I heard that their portfolio managers are supposed to make about 2% return on assets, and then they lever it 10 times, which is… At least. Yeah. Huh. And that's the
1: only way they make these big returns, is to have this huge leverage that would make you crazy if you were already rich.
0: Wow. So I I got uh, I had the good fortune of speaking with uh, someone you know well, Richard Galanti, yeah. at uh, at Costco, and spending a few hours. He knows a lot about it. He's been there all his life. It's crazy. I mean, it seems like that's everyone on the executive They've team. They've all been there. At their yeah, I know. Wow. Uh, I'm curious, uh, how did you first come across Costco, or a or Price Club at the time?
1: Rod Hills somehow knew Saul Price, and knew what he was doing. He said, he said "You after I met him, he said, so I drove down and went through his store and talked with Saul. And of course, Saul was a very intelligent man. Saul was an ordinary lawyer until he was 39 years of age. Then he went out and formed government employees, discount company, He was no longer with FedGo. And he sold FedGo to the, to, to the Germans.
0: Ah, uh, FedMart to the... Um, yeah. Hugo uh, Mann. Hugo yeah. Mann, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: And... And did you uh, get to invest in Price Club before it merged with Costco?
1: Yes, I did. But I didn't, I just bought my stock in the market. I wasn't I got any favor. Any
0: <laughs> and so how did you eventually meet Jim Senegal? Well, I, I,
1: Senegal asked Warren to become a director of Costco. He was looking for somebody with a financial reputation. As an independent? Yes, and Warren wouldn't do it. He said, don't well, you get Charlie to do it. I want short, shorter plane rides to directors meetings and so on. And so that's how that happened.
0: And did Berkshire ever try to become a shareholder or acquire Costco? I tried to get Warren to buy
1: out the French when they left, care for ah. And Warren wouldn't do it. Warren doesn't like retailing. <laughs> What, what was the, was it just that he doesn't like retail or what was the big he's, objection? He's, afraid, he's afraid of re- retail. Practically experience. everything that was Monsmighty in retail is gone. Sears Roebuck is gone, the big departments are gone, you know. It's, it's just too damn difficult as far as he's concerned.
2: And he had a bad experience with diversified retail, right?
1: No, we made nothing but money in diversified. <laughs> we didn't exactly make it in retailing, though. but we made a lot of money.
0: Wow. And and with Diversified, most of the money was not on the retailing operation. You made a lot of that money through... Uh, what happened like, was very simple.
1: We bought this little pissant department store chain in Baltimore. Big mistake, too competitive. <laughs> As the ink dried on the closing papers, we realized we'd be a terrible mistake. So we decided just to reverse it and take the hits to... Re- Look foolish rather than go broke. He just, just told us how to get us out of this. By that time, we'd already financed half of it on covenant free debt and so forth. Hmm. And we had all this extra cash, and our own stocks got down to selling an enormous bet. bet. We just, in the middle of one of those recessions, we just bought and bought and bought and bought. And all that money went right into those stocks. And of course, we tripled and just sitting on our ass.
0: Wow, and that led to Blue Chip. That, that, yeah, yeah, it was part of this
1: early success of Blue Blue Chip. Blue Chip.
0: Wow, and so uh, you know, you mentioned Warren doesn't and like Blue Chip. did something else
1: that people don't know about.
0: Yeah, we bought a
1: little pissant savings and loan company. We bought control in the New York Stock Exchange for maybe twenty million dollars, something like that, hmm. fifteen million or twenty million, some tiny amount. <laughs> And and the whole savings do is was destined to die. And due course, they all died. And when we left that thing, we had taken out of our little $20 million investment, over $2 billion in marketable securities, which went into Nebraska insurance companies as part of their bedrock capital. And of course they doubled their and so forth. So we, we had some wonderful early years, and that's what everybody needs, is wonderful early years. Wow. So
3: in our, in our Costco episode, we, um, we started with the joke at uh, one, of the, one of the Berkshire meetings probably 10 years ago. Uh, Warren told the joke about um, you were on a plane being hijacked, and the hijackers gave you one final request, and... You said you'd like to give your speech Boy, on the I got virtues. got tired of me, kind of reminding him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he said, shoot me first. <laughs> yeah. we, we were hoping, yeah. could you give us your speech on the virtues of Costco?
1: No, uh, Warren was kidding me for being so repetitive on the subject. But there aren't many times in a lifetime when you know you're right and you know you have one that's really going to work wonderfully. Maybe four, five, six times in a lifetime you get a chance to do it.
2: Hmm.
1: And people do it two or three times early. All go broke because they think it's easy. In fact, it's very hard and
0: rare. Hmm. And how? what was it about Costco that made you realize this is one of those few moments in a lifetime?
1: Well... They really did sell cheaper than anybody else in America. And they did it in big, efficient stores. And all the parking spaces were ten feet wide instead of <laughs> eight feet nine or whatever they normally are. They, you know, they did a lot right. Yeah. And and they had a lot of parking spaces. And they <laughs> kept out of their stores all these people didn't do big volumes, you see. And they gave special benefits to people who did come to the stores in the way of car points and so forth, you know, those points. That,
0: yeah, and, and they just had this amazing...
1: Reward points, I hear
0: you call them. The executive the, membership. Yeah. It all worked. And the capital light business
3: model, I mean, when we were studying it, the difference yeah, oh, yeah, no. price... They government. have no
1: investment in them ever.
0: How is it that they have you know what but uh, they make they make the
1: suppliers wait until they've been paid and then, then they, they, they they're scheduled to pay only after they're scheduled to sell?
0: They've got nine hundred warehouses around the world full of you know high quality merchandise, none of which they, they have sitting on their books
1: That's correct, yeah.
3: our understanding is that Price Club went public initially before the merger. They just listed. They didn't raise any capital. They didn't need any capital.
1: Who knows? It's all kind of like, was kind of a here. Hmm. You like deals. You like this miscellaneous real estate. Like,
0: Yeah. Yeah, but it
1: doesn't make sense. You don't want, you got an enterprise as big as Costco. You don't want to screw around with your parking lot and get other people to clog up your parking lot permanently and stuff that's not going to pay you very much.
0: Right. You don't want them, is the answer. Have you ever seen another business that takes advantage of the virtue of the low skew count the way that Costco does?
1: Well, there are lots of them. That little grocery store chain here in Los Angeles, Gelson Brothers. Hmm. Again, two brothers.
0: They wanted the
1: high turnovers and low capital costs. And they never made the least effort to earn any money or have any, They wanted to show their parking out with anybody. Hmm.
0: Hmm. As you reflect back on, uh, you know, one of these few great companies in a lifetime that you should bet big on, uh, what advice would you have for David and I as young partners uh, looking for a few of these in our lifetime, things to look out for?
1: Well, when you find one, well, you may, you may find it five years after you bought it. You know, hmm. these things may work into it, or you may your own understanding may get better. But but when you know you have an edge, you should bet heavily. Hmm. You know you're right, and most people they don't, they don't teach that in business school. It's insane.
0: How do you think? Of course, you got to bet heavily on your best bets. (laughs) And how do you develop that level of conviction to know?
1: You work at it, you redo a lot of reading and thinking and visiting.
0: Hmm. Do you want to ask ask about partnership? Yeah,
3: uh, I'm curious. We we wanted to ask you you you've had this beautiful partnership with Warren for half a century.
1: Yeah, we're a decade into our partnership. There was a lot of low hanging fruit in the early days of our operation, you don't have any low-hanging un- fruit that is easy to recognize.
0: You mean in uh, investment opportunities? Yeah, that's your- right. But your relationship with Warren, like, how have you... Well, we were
1: all sim- kind of similar, and we both wanted to keep our families safe and s- take a new good job for our investors and so on. We, we had similar okay. attitudes. Yeah. Did it? Did it change? Over the decades? No, like? we, were, we were still care. Warren we still cares more about the safety of his or shelters than he cares about anything else. If We used a little bit more leverage the, throughout. We'd have three times as much now. Hmm. And it wouldn't have been that much more risk either. And we just do. We never wanted to give them at least chance of screwing up our basic shelter position.
0: If you had used more leverage, do you think there's some chance that... We would have done a little better, sure. Do you think there's some chance that it wouldn't exist at all? That it would have cost you the franchise?
1: No, I think it would have worked fine. It would have that? easy. It, it, the situation lends itself to, if you were intelligent, just milking it out.
3: What do you, when you leverage, I'm so curious on, after we did our... It's so automatically
1: leveraged. You open over to a news store with no capital... Of course, it's leverage. Hmm. Who wouldn't want a business with no inventories?
0: Right, that's a good point. By by the virtue of you, you owe a whole bunch of people money on day one uh, for these goods that which is which. Turnover so
1: rapidly. Right.
0: Right.
3: It's yeah. It's interesting. I mean, that's leverage. It's not debt leverage. And how do you think about debt? Like after we did our Berkshire series? A lot of people
1: do it now. A lot of people now do it, who manufacture something. They're just terribly strong and they're just forcing the suppliers to carry all the inventory. It isn't like we're the only ones that do it. Hmm.
0: Back to the point on partnership. David and I are coming up on 10 years as partners in this podcast we do together, different than the investing business, but a compounding one nonetheless. Uh, After a 50-year partnership with Warren, what advice would you have for us interpersonally to make for an enduring partnership?
1: Well, it helps if you like one another and enjoy working (laughs) together. We do. Yeah. But it's not... I don't use any one formula. A lot of partnerships that work well for a long time happen because one's good at one thing and one's good at another. They just naturally divide it. And one likes what he, each one likes what he's doing. Now in Costco's case, they had Jeff Brotman, who's very smart, but not a retailer, and Jim Senegal. and they divided it up. And they had originally agreed that Brotman would be the chairman and CEO because he was his idea, he founded the whole thing. And, but Senegal said, no, I have to be the CEO. Mm. So it was a big, unfortunate board meeting, a big internal struggle.
0: Mm.
1: And Brotman moved aside.
0: Mm.
1: Was that after you joined the board?
0: No, before.
1: No, before.
3: Do, you think, um, do you think you and Warren, not living in the same city, Uh, helped your partnership last so long? Well, I may have helped.
1: But Warren has very close relations with all those people that have lunch every Saturday at Berkshire headquarters. It isn't like he doesn't have a little quarter of people there who are kind of pals from, um, from the ground up.
0: Do you think it helps that when you do spend the time together, it's special rather than being common? Well, of course, we used to
1: spend a lot of time together when we were young because we didn't have that much to do. (laughs) (laughs) Now we've got more to do and and, and it's just the other minutiae of life. So, it's different. Yeah.
3: It's funny. I feel like we have a lot to do now, but
1: <laughs> well, of course you do. It's, it's, it's very difficult to invest money well, and I think it's almost impossible to do time after time after time in venture capital. Yeah, we really wanted to ask your, I, your thoughts I, on I venture think capital. Some of the deals get so hot, and you have to decide so quickly. You're all just sort of gambling.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, do you think the role of venture capital is being properly accomplished in society? No, I think it's very poorly done. Charlie elaborated on this point with a few things that we can't air, but the topic did turn to Bitcoin. Yeah. All right, so I have heard uh, I've heard many comments you've made on on Bitcoin. Uh, if I could offer one, I, I'm curious if you have a, a thought on this particular angle an easy way to transfer money in, in, in between countries, especially when those countries don't have a stable store of value within that country? Is it good to have an independent store of value that is, is not well, pegged to the Well, of course it's stable? good to the
1: world as a whole to have a way of having some currency. The way that was solved is for a long time the British pound was the national currency of the well. investment world, and then it shifted to the dollar. And it's still a dollar. Yep. And people like China have these enormous reserves of dollars. The money we make by think of the money people give us where we always just print print up these pieces of paper.
0: Yep. And what about the common person in some of these less fortunate countries who don't have access to US dollars?
1: Well, oh, they do if they ever get any money. The, the dollar is very fungible. You can always buy one anywhere.
0: I, I'm curious, back to this this point of uh, the role of venture capital in a society, if you could design a perfect system to well, fund innovation. It's major... a very legitimate
1: business if you do it right. If, if you want to give the right, right people the power and nurture them, help them. And you know a lot about the tricks of the game so you can help them run their business, yet not interfere with them so much they hate you. By and large, having bumped into a lot of people in the businesses with venture capital financing, I would say the ordinary rule is that people in the business doing the work, they more than not, they hate the venture capitalists. (laughs) They don't don't feel they're they're their partner trying to help them to come. They're only taking care of themselves and so on and so on. And they don't like them.
0: How could it work differently? Yeah, well,
1: but that's not true in Berkshire. You see, they know we're not trying to discard them to the highest bid. See, if some asshole investment banker offers us 20 times earnings or some lousy business, we don't sell. Hmm. If it's a problem business we've never been able to fix, we'll sell it, but but it's a halfway decent business. We never sell anything. And that gives us this reputation of staying with things, which helps us.
0: And do you think that uh, buy and hold, uh, not only mentality, but demonstration, is the key thing that aligns investors with managers? Well, it's
1: rare, you see. Everybody else has a standard way of doing things. And the lawyers have their standard forms. And everybody just has the same standard form and they get the same standard results, subject to the vicissitudes of Charlie, investment life. You don't want to make money by screwing your investors. And that's what a lot of venture capitalists do. The world is full of XG Goldman's Goldman Sachs partners that formed a private fund, and they manage a billion dollars or something like that. And they charge two points off the top plus the spending. And that enables them to make very handsome livings themselves. But the endowments are not getting a good return.
2: Hmm.
3: And do you think it's specifically the fee aspect of fund
1: It's fun just human nature. That... Of the way, it's just the way it works. And, of course, it, you really shouldn't be in the business of charging extra. Unless you really are going to achieve very unusual results. And, of course, it's more easy to... Pretend that you can get good results of this to actually get them. And so it attracts the wrong people, hmm. people with an investment capital turn of mind. And the people who made the most money out of venture capital are a lot like investment bankers, deciding which hot new area they're going to get in. They're not great at investors or great at anything. They just.
3: What, what do you think endowments and large
1: pools of capital should do then? Well, they're starting to do it. The endowments have started to say to the, all these people that charge 3 and 30 or whatever they charge, they say, We'll pay your 3 and 30, but we're going to put in twice as much money, in it, and then the next half you'll get nothing on it. But we're just going to ride peri-passu on some of your investments. That, so the fees go down by 50%. That'll take a lot of the fun out of it. <laughs> Fees down fifty percent. And that's happening all over America. They feel had, misled, irritated. I mean one of the what They look foolish to their own trustees.
3: One of the issues I think in investing right now, you mentioned it about venture capital, but I think it's true everywhere. It's like there's just so much capital and so much competition. We're so far removed from the Cigar butt era. We're in the opposite of the Cigar butt era these days. Are, are there opportunities out there? There'll be somebody there? who'll
1: find things. There'll be somebody who find a few things. But it gets harder and harder. I would argue one of the easiest ones was when they decided a little group around Home Depot, they would copy the Costco model and home improvements. And that was basically a good idea. And think of the money they made doing it. Yeah. Bernie Marcus. Yeah. That was a direct copy of Costco.
0: Do you think there are more opportunities to copy Costco? Well,
1: there was another one at Costco. Uh,
0: Florin Decor is the
1: current imitator. And it's just, it's, it's in. Vinyl, wood imitating vinyl flooring. They're they're running a Costco model. Huh. And they keep adding miscellaneous stuff to it, too.
0: It's the miscellaneous stuff that'll eventually kill you, though.
1: Well, it would be simpler if it was all floor.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like the vertical... I mean, the Home Home Depot worked so well. But I don't know that it was totally obvious. Like, part of the appeal of Costco was... It was horizontal. It was everything. Consumers could come. They could make a trip. Bring their big wagon. Bring their bring their big. Trip. But home
1: was the same. They copied everything.
3: And famously, Bernie Marcus came out to visit Saul. Yeah, yeah, yeah No, they came out.
1: They copied everything.
3: Saul was like happy to share the playbook with everybody. Right? How, I how know. I feel know. About that? Uh,
1: Saul was a not a crazy. He was. Domineering and so on, but, but he was also very intelligent,
0: Hmm. but there aren't many
1: opportunities like Home Depot and Costco, there aren't very many.
0: Why do you think Walmart hasn't been successful once they saw Costco in competing?
1: They were too wedded by the ideas they already had, that's everybody's trouble. They just can't accept a new idea because the place space is occupied by an old idea. They got in the habit of getting the real estate practically even nothing because they went into little towns where nothing was valuable. So they're always their occupancy costs were like zero and they knew how to make big division stores. That was their formula. So it offended them to go into, against the rich suburbs and to have to pay up for the good locations and Costco just specialized in the good locations where the rich people live. And Walmart just let him do it year after year. It was a terrible mistake. Did, did you know Sam Walton? No, oh. never met him. I knew, right. the, I, I knew the son, one of the sons, and they divided it up, you know, in about six parts very early. Yeah, Walton yep. Enterprises. So they never paid much gift taxes or anything.
0: The topic of discussion then turned to automakers and the future of the car industry.
1: Look at how hard it would be to go into the auto business and have some big killing. (laughs) Who's going to win? Who knows? The whole thing has been thrown way up in the air by all these electric cars. All those big new capital requirements. Different ways of selling cars. And plus they got these tough unions.
0: How? uh, See,
1: I just don't even look at the auto industry.
0: Do you think it's? Do you think it's more investable today than it was 50 years ago because of the disruptive innovation of electric?
1: Well, for maybe for one or two electric <laughs> cars that are really good at it, maybe. But certainly nobody else. So you it's, think BYD is too and tough? BYD was a miracle. That guy, but that guy works 70 hours a week and has a very high IQ. He can do things you can't do. You can look at somebody else's auto part, and you can figure out how to make the goddamn thing. Charlie, you 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 can't do that, you see.
2: Charlie, you invested a Hyundai.
1: Yes, but they're they're clever too.
2: How was that investment for you?
1: I lost money. (laughs) Not much, because I was stubborn. I held out until it got back to almost what I paid for it, then I sold
2: it. I'm curious. What uh, there's been a lot of discussion about uh, Berkshire's investments in the Japanese trading houses. Well,
1: but that is a no-brainer. Something like that, if you're as smart as Warren Buffett, maybe two, three times a century, you get an idea like that. The interest rates in Japan were half a percent per year for 10 years. And these trading companies were really entrenched old companies. And they had all these cheap copper mines and rubber plantations rubber and so. And and so you could borrow for 10 years ahead all the money and you could buy the stocks and the stocks paid 5% dividends. That's so there's a huge flow of cash with no investment, no thought, no way, anything. How often do you do that? You'll be lucky if you get one or two a century. We could do that, nobody else could. It looked attractive at half or a percent, but you, you couldn't get it. But Berkshire with his credit could, and the only way you could get it was be very patient and just pick away at it little pieces at a time. And we took it took it forever to get ten billion dollars invested. But you know, we, but it was like having God just opening a chest and just pouring money into it, and <laughs> it to, You know, it was it was awfully easy money.
0: It's interesting that it's paradoxical. You need Berkshire's credit. But at Berkshire scale, it's actually hard to put enough money to work.
1: That's true, both. But why shouldn't it be hard to make money? Why should it be easy? Hmm. We, uh, Japanese training companies reminds
3: me, we studied another company recently, Nike. Uh, that is that's a very different company. Yeah. Did you just, ever look at the it? That's a style company.
1: Well, of course, uh, I've, uh, looked, I've, I've looked at it, but I don't like style company.
0: To Too, too fad driven? Well, uh, 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 I suppose if R.B.
1: Hermes an achievement of enough price, I'd buy it, but short of that, I'm going to buy a new style of company.
0: Ooh, that's a good pick.
2: To the style point, another one that they covered was LVMH, and obviously same thing. what Arnaud has done has been amazing. Arnaud yeah, Arnaud. sure, I know. So what do you make of that company? Well, if you're
1: as good as they are at what they've done, you have a lifetime to do it in, or now a lifetime, really three or four lifetimes to do it in. You can create another, but it's not easy. Well, Hermes is on the eighth generation, I think. Now, the family running it—it's not a bit easy. I mean, they have to make—they still have to—they have meetings every day where they make policy decisions and they choose the locations one at a time. And
0: it's work. It's definitely work. What What do you think the durable value is in these, as you say, style companies of the very best one in the world, the Hermes or the LVMH? What What makes them enduring?
1: Well, they just got a brand people trust so much.
0: Hmm. It took them
1: a century to do it.
0: Our conversation then turned to comparing Kirkland Signature as a brand to Hermes.
1: Kirkland is a brand the way Tide is a brand. And Hermes is a different kind of a brand. <laughs> <laughs> different kind of a...
0: Yeah, Ferrari doesn't make uh, detergent.
1: No. <laughs>
3: What do you, We've spent a lot of time studying these brands. In your mind, what? how do you look at the
1: value of a brand? Well, it's hard for us not to love brands since we were lucky enough to buy the Sea's Candy for $20 million as our first acquisition. And we found out fairly quickly that we could raise the price every year by ten percent, and nobody cared. We didn't make the volumes go up or anything like that. Just made the profits go up. So we've been raising the price by ten percent a year for all these forty years or so. Wow! And it's been a very That's satisfactory impressive. company. We didn't even require any new capital. That was what was so good about it. Very little new capital. We, we had two two big kitchens and a bunch of rental stores when we bought it. And now it's got two big kitchens, and a bunch of rental stores. <laughs> well, Charlie, see, was Charlie C. was a playboy, and and he, his brother ran the company. He was his older brother, and dominated it completely. And so, but when he died, Charlie made his brother his executor. And now he needs a lot of money to pay death taxes. He doesn't have it. It's due, you know, eight months or something later. And and so they really wanted to sell so they could pay the death taxes. And, and Steve was only making $4 million pre-tax when we bought it.
0: And so that buying opportunity only came about because the family needed liquidity to pay yes, the death taxes. Yes, that's right. And we
1: only found out about it because Charlie C. was on <laughs> his cruise to Hawaii or something with this guy who was a... A, a client of an investment counselor also worked for Blue Chip Stamps, which is the company that bought it. And at any anyway, rate, that's how we found out about it. We paid that guy a finder's fee, even. He <laughs> says We've never that. paid one cent. He <laughs>
2: says that so it was worth it.
1: <laughs> of course, but we you, you don't want to have a reputation for paying
2: finder's fees. Everybody in the world will be bothering you all day long. <laughs> So what do you think, so there are categories like C's or like Hermes where brands lead to pricing power, and then there are, of course. I think
1: your chances of buying one of them is so low I wouldn't even look.
2: Oh, I'm, I'm just, just out of curiosity. There. Yeah, there are, yeah that's there what are, I am
1: about. I only believe in looking at things that I might find. You're <laughs> no, not going to get a chance to buy no, Hermes. No There's curiosity a without a return. your time. yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: But why do you think there are extremely well-known brands in other categories, maybe packaged food or something where well, they, they there are a lot there are investors. a lot of
1: professional investors that buy but branded goods, and the one they usually start with is Nestle
0: and is fill it.
1: They They've done two or three points better than average, but it's not a bonanza.
0: The conversation then went, of course, to Kraft Heinz, as many conversations with Charlie and Berkshire folks do, and specifically why Heinz is able to have pricing power while Kraft does not.
1: very interesting. I, it's something about the flavor of ketchup on a goddamn fried potato. Be, people <laughs> are really willing to change brands over. They want Heinz. And so we could raise the price of Heinz pretty much... Anyway, but you try to raise the craft cheese, and everybody, everybody goes into rebellion, <laughs> including the final, final customer, the housewife. They don't care that much about whether the cheese is craft or not.
0: Why it's, do you think that is? That some... Well, and
1: on the sauce flavor, it's happened elsewhere. In Korea, one guy, a Chinese guy, controls all the sauces. Every single major sauce, he controls at least 95% of.
0: And it's because sauces have such a particular flavor that yeah, no one can yeah, imitate yeah. the trade secret. Yeah. Huh. And that gives pricing. We will get used to it. You like it.
1: Is that Coca Cola as well? Yeah. Sure.
0: Uh, Charlie, I, I'm curious. At age 99, what is something that you believe today that 70 year old Charlie would have disagreed with?
1: I think, I, I knew when I was 70 that it was plenty hard, but it, it's just so hard. I know how hard it is now. And all these people who are getting this two and 20 or three and 30 or whatever, they all talk, as it's always easy, and they get to believe in their own bullshit. And of course, it's not a bit easy. It's very hard.
3: If you were back 30 or 40 years old again today, would you decide to go
1: into the investment business again? Oh, well, probably because it suits my nature. But I didn't really enjoy the the three and thirty business. Once I had enough money of my own, I'd rather just operate with my own money. That is a much better way of doing it hmm. than
3: because of the being forced freedom? to sell, be
1: forced to deal with investment bankers, be forced to deal with Investment consultants be forced to deal with venture capital. The hell with them. Who wants? To, you don't want to need other people. The point of getting rich is so you don't have to need other. You don't have to get along with <laughs> other people.
2: Charlie, if you started with Warren today and you're both thirty years old, do you think you guys would build anything close to what Berkshire is today?
1: The answer to that is no. We would We had. Everybody that has an unusually good result, almost everything has three things: they're very intelligent, they worked very hard, and they were very lucky. It takes all three to get them on this list of the silver successful. How can you arrange to have two? The answer is a good luck. The answer is you can start early and keep trying a long time, and maybe you'll get one or two.
2: If you were, if you were starting again today, do you think insurance would still be the vehicle? It depends on your temperament. Insurance would be ideal for a certain kind of a temperament. Hmm.
1: And it takes a very patient person to get rich in insurance. It takes forever to get anything in. It takes forever to push anybody aside. It's very hard to make money.
0: I've heard you say, as soon as you're wealthy enough to self-insure, you should. Is there any insurance? Well, that's uh, about practically everything.
1: Think of all the crumbums of the world that drink too much and then file big claims with the insurance company when the place gets on fire or something. Why would you want to pay your share of their stupidity?
0: (laughs) Not to mention the overhead. Of course, the insurance company needs to pay all the people that work there. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's crazy. Is there any insurance that you carry today?
1: I carry no fire insurance anywhere.
0: Do you carry auto insurance? Yeah, I have to. Well, you're legally mandated. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I don't know. Charlie could. No. no, I
1: have to, and I do.
2: What uh, I'm curious what, uh, being that, since these guys are uh, very tech-focused, I'm curious, not being a tech person, how did you think about the Apple investment, and what gave you the conviction to be so big? What everybody's learned is that
1: everybody needs some significant participation in the 12 companies to do better than everybody else. And you need, you need two or three of them at least. And if you have that mindset, Apple is a logical candidate to be on the list for which you're gonna select your companies. And it's not very hard to come up with the idea that it may be okay
0: Making the list doesn't sound too hard. In fact, there are these acronyms, FANG or MAMA, you know, Microsoft, Apple, Google, Facebook. Uh, but selecting the one and putting hundreds of billions of dollars into it. Didn't put
1: hundreds of billions tens tens of billions, billions into it.
0: To create hundreds of billions of value, uh, yes. that to me sounds hard to pick the one. How did you guys pick the one? We couldn't find anything else. <laughs> was it valuation or yeah? We well, got
1: cheap. We got it to about ten times earnings and more. But yeah, twenty
0: fifteen I believe was the first. No, yeah. it's fascinating to me this concept of if you look at distressed debt or you look at I think Warren in the last Berkshire letter pointed out it's been a handful of really good decisions. Uh, or you look at venture capital—that's—that's that's classically power law distributed. Any of these asset classes comes down to a few really good decisions with high conviction over an entire career. Yeah, that's exactly what—that's
1: exactly the way it works.
0: It's not smooth. There's there's no asset class where you can uh, repeatedly just do. No, okay. no. the
1: the, the low hanging fruit for the idiot Is, is it's, it's not gone, but it's very small. <laughs>
0: You mentioned uh, this idea that when we were talking about Apple, there's a few companies that it's just really important to, to be in. Do you think these, these big tech companies being the winners, where all of the pensions and Berkshire and university endowments and everyone's 401Ks being concentrated in these companies, do you think that was the natural outcome? Did we have to end up this way? Yeah, it
1: was natural. That's why it happened. It was so natural. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What causes that? Well, it
1: just—it's just, that's what competition and and human nature and competition—that's what it causes. Will we eventually have one? Eventually, this craziness in venture capital when they're all gone stupid, including Sequoia—that's a natural outcome.
0: Will will we have one? Twenty trillion dollar companies, and then the next biggest company. I don't is know one. how the world's
1: going to. I didn't, I didn't know we we're going to have friends. We did. They just, they just happened.
2: Yeah, Charlie. What do you feel? Would you continue investing in China? Do you want to stop? Like, what's your position with that?
1: Well, my position in China has been that the Chinese economy has better future prospects over the next 20 years than almost any other big economy. That's number one. Number two, the leading companies of China are stronger and better than practically any other leading companies anywhere. And they're available at a much cheaper price. So naturally, I'm willing to have some China risk in the Munger portfolio. How much China risk? Well, that's not a scientific subject. <laughs> but I don't mind whatever it is, 18% or something. Whatever, whatever it's worked out in the Bunker family, it's okay with me.
0: What about other geopolitical considerations? Like, would you hold TSMC at this point? What? what, what? Uh, Taiwan Semiconductor. Well, I don't like that as
1: well as so I like something with a real consumer brand of its own, like Apple. Hmm.
2: I'm curious, uh, what major companies that haven't been mentioned do you think people would do well to study the virtues of, like studying the virtues of Costco? Well, I only study two kinds of companies. One, I'm
1: another big Ben Graham follower. To, if something is really cheap, even though it's a crappy company, I would willing to consider buying it for a while anyway. And, and I do that occasionally. And I've done it with great success a time or two, but I'm like Marks, I've done it once or twice in my lifetime for <laughs> big gains, and that's it. It's not like I'd have what I was I've done it a hundred times. Yeah, a hundred times easy money is almost non existent. Hmm.
3: One type of company is the cigar butt. What's
2: the other type of company? The, the companies that people would do well to, un, to well, study- Well, the, the, the great brand
1: stuff. companies, are, of course, are good. Mm-hmm.
2: You, you get them at the, the right price. The whole start, trick start is
1: to get them on the few rare occasions when yes. they're really cheap. But buying Costco at its present
2: price, it may work out all right, but that's, again, it's getting hard. Yeah, Forgetting the, the, the prospects, the stock, how do you
0: think about the next 10 years for the business? i can going to do pretty well. Charlie, uh, one more question for you in this area. What is your favorite advice to give to young people?
1: Well, I don't give advice to just any young people. I give it to some. I pay my spots. I don't want to be more of a guru the young people. I already am. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting hard out there. And there's all this bullshit and craziness. Of course it's going to be hard.
0: Yeah. Where, are, where do the attractive ha- opportunities hang out anymore? It sounds like everything in the whole world is overpriced. Is, could that be possible?
1: Damn near. Of course it could be possible. It's not only possible, it's likely, and it's actually happened.
0: How did the world get so rich if we have all this capital for so few opportunities?
1: It's the nature of things. Look, it, biology produces a very advanced creature like us. We can sit around and talk intelligently on all these subjects. But it does it by killing everybody off in brutal competition one with the other for hundreds of thousands of years. In so, other words, the system that nature uses to get smart is kind of unpleasant to the people who are losing.
0: So, over the last hundred years, we've brutally shifted all this value from labor to capital, and now capital is all competing to get into a very small set of opportunities.
1: Well, capital never had. You would. It wasn't that it was all that easy, you go back a long time. It just was a lot easier.
0: And if it continues to get harder, the natural end is that you have. Yes, um, an
1: unpleasant blow up of some kind. And God knows what happens after an unpleasant blow up with our modern democracies. Well, if, you know, you can get to so your lot like Europe, which is quite dysfunctional.
0: Is it too pessimistic of a view to say that? The, the world seems to be out of good ideas to match the amount of capital out there looking for good ideas.
1: It was never easy. It thoroughly understood it was never easy, and it's harder now. Those are the two. Were, well,
2: okay. <laughs> but it takes time. Yeah. And you yeah. pay
1: attention, not you're handling the people you
2: deal with. Correct. You want a good reputation when you're old done, not a bad one. Right. And I don't think you're saying there are no opportunities whatsoever. I think no, you're just saying it's just, low, low expectations it, 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 and it, it, fewer bonanzas. Now the beauty of it is, you only have to get rich once. You do not <laughs> have to climb this mountain four times. You just have to do it once. Well, that's sort of your philosophy on both sides. Is you got to be patient for the great opportunities, but when they you got to recognize them when they come and and pounce.
0: We turned off the mics to have dinner and then came back to record a few more questions about Costco and general life advice from Charlie. One Costco question that I've been wanting to ask you is all the puzzle pieces of the low SKU count and the high inventory turnover. uh, And there's just so many things that fit together so beautifully. They're pretty obvious, though. But how come no one else can pull it off if they're so obvious? It takes a lot of good
1: execution to do it you really have to set out to do it and then do it with analysis every day every week every year for 40 years it's not so damned easy
0: so you think the success is the magic of the business model and culture
1: yes yes culture plus model yes absolutely and very reliable hardworking determined execution for 40 years
3: I mean they talk about the story of the catch-up that you could increase the price of ketchup by 3% and nobody would notice. But that would destroy everything if you did that, right?
1: I would say the central norm was don't raise the market. (coughs) Get it low and keep it there forever.
3: Which brings us to the hot dogs. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is it true... The story that when Craig took over as CEO, he did try to raise the price of the hot dogs.
1: I don't know. I had no conversations with him on that subject. <laughs> and but, Jim forbade him. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure Jim would have forbade it. Uh, absolutely. There was no board level discussion no, of the hot dog. No. no. <laughs> Those two would not have thought it was a board matter to discuss the price of hot dogs.
0: The, the one thing that fascinates me about Costco is they seem to only be able to grow 10% per year because they're not capital constrained. Like, no amount of money, if they were to access it for free, could help I'll tell them. you what it is.
1: It is hard to open too many stores a year. New store, new manager, new this, new politics, new it. It's hard. And, and plus, a lot of stuff has to be learned and taught and put in place. And so they, don't, they didn't want to do more than they could comfortably handle.
3: To store openings, you mentioned China earlier. Was it 12, 20 years that Costco had the license to operate in China? And well, let me what
1: happened there. The first store they tried to open in, North, in, uh, in China, the first store somebody wanted a $30,000 bribe. You no know, Chinese Whoa. culture, and they just wouldn't pay it. And that made such a bad impression on Jim Senegal. He wouldn't even talk to him going into China for about 30 years thereafter. Ah. So what changed? Why, why finally go in? Well, finally, the board started making up noises. So got, <laughs> you started agitating. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah um, who on the board could be excited about the Chinese market? I could. Uh, Yeah, well,
1: uh, who can? Who knows? <laughs>
3: <laughs> Oh, that's so great. Uh, one thing I, I was curious about, like, the Jim Senegals, the Salt Prices, the bones, they all came from a different era. Right? Your era. After your era. Yeah. Is it possible for someone like that to come up again? I mean, they were so oh, focused. It would be harder I mean,
1: Costco setting in the spot now. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't try it now.
0: What about outside the retail business? That type of persona as a business. The, the Somebody will things. try the
1: same thing outside the, the retail business. Some people already do.
0: One thing I found fascinating about Costco was the fact that even though they're at you know, the lowest possible prices, their audience skews wealthy. Do you, was that an accident that they figured out over time, or did they no, know? No, Price
1: had yeah, that figured out to announce.
0: All the way back in the Price Club days. Yes.
3: You always wanted the rich man trying to save money. Well, and it's it's not just that they're the wealthiest customers. They're smart they're, wealthy they're picky. customers. Yeah, they're picky wealthy customers. Hmm. Uh,
0: so on, on some topics that are outside of Costco, you mentioned in the Daily Journal annual meeting this year that a young man knows the rules and an old man knows the exceptions. Yeah, that's
1: an old saying of Peter's.
0: Oh, is that a uh, Peter Kaufman? Yeah. What are some of the exceptions that you've found the most useful in life?
1: Well, take those goddamn Costco hot dogs. <laughs> 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 That's an exception. Anybody else would have raised the price of hot, hot dogs a long time ago. They just don't do it. Hmm. They, they just know that sort it's of half famous and they, You'll bring know, your kids in, they, have a they, they know they've got something going there that's worth extra money to them. They just don't destroy
2: them. Hmm.
0: How uh, A thing that I've never fully understood, I know you're a big fan of the company BYD, that of course makes the, the, the Chinese company that makes batteries and, and electric vehicles.
1: Uh, I may be a big fan, but I'm sort of...
0: Hang on by my
1: hat while he lurch around the track, <laughs> and they, they make me nervous because they are so aggressive.
0: Uh, is that dangerous in a company? No, that's what
1: makes me nervous. Of course, it's
0: dangerous. So, should, uh, do you think that companies should uh, try to grow at a, a lower rate than they're capable of in order to be more durable?
1: Well, if it's the of course you do that if it's safer and easier and so forth, but I would argue that Costco, where they've done some of these things that are extreme, like the hot dog, it's been a plus, and they've been smart to not to change their ways on one item or two.
0: And it seems like there there's a spectrum where on. The one side, there's Costco that is is just not a fast-growing company because it's very difficult to. And on BYD, like you're saying, they grew like crazy. I mean, you turned. Well,
1: BYD this year it sold at least two and a half million cars. Most of them electric. That's unheard of. Yeah. One I've ever heard of that? They so way more than Mercedes, for instance. And when... more, more than Tesla, right? Yeah, more than everybody. Yeah. A little absolutely. Lots of troubles and losses. They ran into terrible trouble. They created the wrong kind of, they made lots of mistakes. They were lucky they'd be on the cutting edge of this electric car business. Electric cars are, it's it's way more acceleration than most people. So you had a car with more oomph than most people. So the young, macho male (laughs) has a real lively car. There are a lot of things about the car really works in some ways that is it's better. It, it making a 90 degree turn. You can go right opposite a parallel parking place and just move this way. Turn the wheels 90 degrees and go in. Yeah. Well, nobody's ever done that. If your car goes flat, you can run 100 miles on three other ty- three other wheels or wow. something.
2: And do they have better economics because they don't have parts? They don't have nearly as many parts. It's uh, it's simpler. Yeah.
0: Have you ever had an investment like that before? I think you're you've invested something like 270 million. That's now worth something like eight billion in BYD.
1: Well, very few people have an investment. That's a venture capital type investment. It happened to be a thinly traded public company and we bought it instead of a venture capital type company. it was a venture capital type play. And they just went put the foot
0: right to the floorboard and played it hard. Had, had they manufactured By the way, both
1: BYD and and we tried to talk about going into the car business. They're gonna buy a bankrupt car business and go into the car business. I said that's that's A graveyard for human owners, why would you want to do that? And he paid no attention to us and went right ahead.
0: (laughs) And this was, had you invested already when he told you this plan? Yes, yes. And and it worked
1: fabulously well. After huge mistakes, they almost went broke with their early dealership building system. Almost went broke. What captivated you about it, though? I mean, even well, when you,
3: what captivated you about the well, guy? The guy was
1: a genius. He was had a PhD in engineering and he could look at somebody part. He could make that part, you know, look at it in the morning and look at it in the afternoon. He could make it. i I never seen anybody like that. He could do anything. He is a natural engineer and a get it done type production executive. And that's a big thing. It's a big lot of talent to have in one place. And it's very useful.
3: How would you compare...
1: solve like- all these problems on these electric cars and the motors and the acceleration and the braking and so
3: on. How would you compare him and BYD to Elon and Tesla?
1: Well, he's a fanatic that knows how to actually make things with his hands, so he has to. He- He's closer to ground zero, in other words. Yeah. I'm saying that the guy at b
0: is better mm. at actually making things yeah. than he thought it is. I see. Um, Charlie, you turn 100, yeah. which is an unbelievable statement, on January 1st of next year. Yeah. Do you have any plans?
1: I'm going to party.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Where's
1: the party going to be? To California go. But I, I totally maxed out the room. I can't squeeze another. <laughs> <piranha>. <laughs> we, would, we What
0: what um, what captivates you these days? What's fun?
1: Well, practically everything is. Even politics, bad as it is, is kind of interesting. <laughs> <laughs> when uh,
3: when you look back at your you, you're in Warren's time together. When did you have the most fun?
1: We had about the same amount of fun all the way through.
0: We're having fun now. <laughs> is is there a particular era that you remember the most fondly that feels like the good old days?
1: Well, I mean, we remember we were sweating blood in some of those good old days.
0: Oh, I mean, uh, Solomon Brothers. Solomon Brothers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> know,
1: there were a lot of close misses. We, we, we got out with a big problem to solve, we could have had a big loss.
3: We could have had more problems than just a loss with Solomon right Well actually yeah. is
0: it, on, on our when we examined Berkshire Hathaway on our, our podcast uh, our takeaway was that the whole franchise was at risk yeah during Solomon Brothers the entire Berkshire Hathaway name and future Did, would you agree with that? Not so much I really would have survived If you would let the whole investment in Solomon go to zero it would have been if, if
1: it all blown up and went to zero. We would have written and gone on and done pretty well. Hmm.
3: Okay. What do you consider it to be your finest hour?
1: Well, we like to remember remember the close misses for with real terrible problems. They had a terrible problem with the Buffalo News. Yeah,
0: and the, the Buffalo News, Buffalo Evening News? Yeah, well,
1: we, yeah it was, there are two newspapers in that town and we started a Sunday edition and that started the holy war and the other guy went broke. Well, we could have had a lot of bad publicity over that.
0: And you were you were both pretty young and enterprising at that point. Yeah. I mean, you weren't the warrant entirely of... No, but I was
1: very aggressive about wanting to have a good Sunday edition. I didn't want to own the paper for fifty years. There's no Sunday edition on the other I had one.
0: What What made the newspaper business so attractive at that point in history? Well, it was a gold mine. That's attractive. At That
3: time, total <laughs> gold mine. Well, and the play, with, in particular, with the Buffalo Evening News and the Sunday Edition, was playing for the local monopoly, right? To yeah, be sure. the game, the game in town. And with newspapers, sure. you could do sure. that. Sure. I mean, newspapers for decades had EBITDA margins in the like 50, 60%
1: range, right? No, only the little ones. Only the little ones. Oh. Yeah, the big ones are less, 30 or 40 or twenty or I I'm mm. no, sorry, I, I,
3: I said EBITDA in your presence. I mm. apologize. Cash flow margins.
0: <laughs> Actually, do, do you still feel as uh, that, that EBITDA is uh, a, a criminal the way that you've demonized it in the past?
1: Yeah, I do. I think you have a big truck company and take the depreciation out of the trucks, out of the earnings, you're been lying about the earnings.
2: <laughs>
3: I mean, you witnessed its rise with um, Malone and, and uh, TCI and Liberty Like when EBITDA was invented as a
1: concept, right? Like,
3: what were you thinking?
1: <laughs> well, I've never liked John Malone's extreme manipulations. I don't want to be known as the great manipulator like John Malone is. It, he paid less income taxes than anybody. He just yeah. he just pushed everything to the dry logic. of the screen.
0: In many ways, EBITDA was the uh, community-adjusted earnings of its of its oh era. Are you familiar with the community adjustment uh, from no. the, from uh, WeWork? We were, we were, oh boy. <laughs>
3: Maybe um, a final question to wrap up. What are the set of companies that you think are the greatest that you've ever seen, either that you've owned or that you've not owned?
1: Well, there are a lot of great companies. St. Hermes is a great company. In its heyday, General Motors was a great company. It just gradually went to hell one contract at a time.
2: What do you think about the predictability of, you know, there were a number of companies back when you started where you could have said this business will be the same in 10 years. Do you think that number is the same today, or do you think it's much more... I think than most the-
1: places have a lot of change and threat in their future.
0: Do, do you think most places had a lot of change and threat in their future even 50 years ago, and this story is overblown? There's a
1: difference. Some of what I call a specialized industrial company, and Berger has a lot of them. We have a lot of companies that are quite insulated from really tough competition.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. Just because they've been so long and they're so good at what they do and they have a good reputation and high value and so on and so on.
2: Yeah. Are there, what companies can you see today where you you can confidently say Berkshire aside, you can confident Costco aside, you can confidently say the business will be as good as it is today in ten years.
1: Well, I think a lot of companies are pretty good, but you can't confidently say it's going to happen because. You may get some guy like Iger in that just wants to push everything and do the right public relations. So no matter how good the business is, it'll be kind of phony. Yeah.
0: Right. Mm. Uh, Charlie, I have a personal question for you. Da- David has a two-year-old um, and I'm uh, gonna have my first child in a month. Mm-hmm. And what advice do you have for us about building families?
1: Well, of course, you've got to get along with everybody. You've got to (laughs) help them through their tough times, and they help you and so forth. Yeah. Uh, But I think it's not as hard as it looks. I think half of the marriages in America work pretty damn well.
0: Well, And would have worked just as
1: well if both of them had to marry somebody else, by the way.
3: (laughs) 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 Well, you've said that the uh, best way to have a great spouse is to deserve one. Yeah, and, uh, sure. As long as both parties feel that way, then
1: it's a recipe for success. Of course it is. And you got to have trust with your spouse when it to things like education of the children and so forth.
2: Yeah.
0: I love that. Well, Charlie, thank you. Yeah. yeah.
1: Thank you, Charlie. Well, good luck to you. Okay? Charlie,
2: this has been, uh, a lot of people are going to benefit a lot from hearing this and your, your wisdom, and they're going to learn so much. Well, you know, if you start thinking about it,
1: it's pretty hard. It doesn't look so damned easy just to go up. If you go to the ordinary person trying to promote himself as an investment advisor or some kind, he just thinks he knows everything about everything and how the Federal Reserve should be run, and so on and so on. Yeah, we don't amazing. we don't feel that way. No.
3: I will say with the with the people we get to talk to who've built great things, every single one of them says it was so hard. It's so hard. You can't build something great without it being so hard.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Charlie, thanks so much for doing this with us. Glad to do it. And, and honestly... You're, you're not choosing a terrible... It'll be an
2: interesting life you're really. leading. You'll do pretty well at it. But it's not going to be that damn easy. Yeah.